Money and saving money is one of those hotbed topics nobody really wants to talk about, yet everybody is thinking about. What if we could help you flip the script on your ideas around money and specifically how you save it? Today on the show, my guest David Delisle shares his motto of only buy the awesome stuff to help you look and approach money with a different lens. David is the author of the soon-to-be-released graphic novel for kids called The Golden Quest, Teaching the Power of Compound Interest. David himself started his own Golden Quest when he first got interested in finance at the tender age of 11. He's covered a lot of ground since then as a successful entrepreneur, a financial advisor, marketing director, and real estate investor. But it's David's most important role as a dad to two young boys that led him to write this book in hopes to teach financial literacy and empowerment to the generation coming up behind us. I mean, talk about awesome stuff. That's it right there. So now it's time to roll right into our conversation. So let's officially open the show. This is the Inside Story podcast. And today we're only going to buy the awesome stuff with author David Delisle. Hi, I'm April Adams Pertwee. I'm your host of the Inside Story podcast. I've been telling people stories my entire adult life as a broadcast journalist, video producer, and digital storyteller. These days, you can find me at Light Beamers, where I'm building a community of women who are ready to step into their brave by sharing their story with the world. On the Inside Story podcast, I'm bringing you some of the best stories I'm discovering from both the women inside of my community, as well as from around the streets of the internet. Plus, I'm digging deep to share some of my own stories with you along the way. My hope is that these stories will help encourage you to examine your own story so that you can share it with other people. I have a motto at Light Beamers. When we share our stories, we shine a light. So with that in mind, let's get down to business today and share the light found in this episode. Welcome, 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 Light Beamers and listeners of the Inside Story podcast. I'm so happy you are here today, and we have a real fun interview lined up for you today with my guest, David Delisle, who is with us in the studio. Hello, David. So happy you are here. Hey, April. Nice to nice to be here as well. It's exciting to, to finally have this conversation. Yeah, and you know, David, you are, if I, I'm pretty sure you are the second man to appear on our Inside Story podcast. So that in itself is a a high honor. And I'm really happy to have you speak to our audience today and kind of share your wisdom and expertise. As we are going to be talking, I love your whole theme around and your whole business concept around only buy the awesome stuff, right? Only buy the awesome stuff. And we're going to be talking about, about money today and your journey through discovering the power of compound interest, um, working in the financial sector, and now teaching this to kids specifically with a book that you have coming out soon. And so we're going to dive all into that today. But first, I want to ask you, um, because on your bio, there's this really neat detail that you fell in love or kind of you know, came into this concept and awareness of compound interest at a very young age, which I find 
pretty fascinating because I have a 12-year-old and a 15-year-old at home right now. I mean, those are my children. (laughs) And, you know, I don't know that kids today are being taught. And I know when I was growing up, we weren't taught things about money in school. You know, we were taught how to balance a checkbook. We were taught how to do the basic things. And I still, even today, see that is still nothing's nothing much has changed in our education system so even this year with my 15 year old we set up like a um i don't know a robin hood or an e-trade account i can't remember what it was my husband did it but we started we gave him a little bit of money and so that he could start to learn and see the power of this concept of compound interest and what happens in the stock market and just start to have those conversations because it's not being taught anywhere else so That's my own perception, but I'd love to hear your own story about where this interest in the financial piece of life, where did that start for you and how old were you? Oh, it was, I mean, it had to even be younger. I, it was, I was super nerdy in that world and it didn't, I can't think of it a moment where it just, where it came. It was, I just always saw the idea of saving was just always sort of built into me. So I was that super nerdy kid that would, you know, be, you know, if I get money to buy a hot dog, I'd consider, do I want to buy the hot dog? Or do I want to save the money and, and save for something later? And and it got really bad where I'd even remember opening up like a, like savings accounts and calling around for uh, how much interest different banks were paying for their savings accounts and checking it. And I think it was just almost a fascination of that interest, even though it was small at that time, that I my money was making money. And that sort of fascinated me. And and so it was sort of always there. But then when I was, like you mentioned, about 11 is when I probably read The Wealthy Barber at the time, which is sort of funny because it was that was when the, the book first came out. And, and a lot of stuff, some of the stuff was, was new. Some of it I got, I mean, it was, but just this idea, I remember like running into my parents' bedroom and be like, did you know, you know, whatever it was and and just being super excited about this. And, and we lived in a pretty small town on the West coast of Canada, but he, during his book tour actually did come to that town. So I remember attending his, his book tour and as hearing him speak, which was, which was really funny. That would have been. Again, I would have been about 11. It would have been easily the first sort of that type of event that I would have attended and being in this room just full of adults asking about money and and hearing them talk. It was very, I, I can't imagine my my boys being, well, hard to say. My youngest one definitely has a bit of that interest, but but I was a little quirky that way. Well, I mean, so did you grow up in a household? Tell me a little bit about your parents. Was that an influence for you? Or did you grow up seeing them not save money and that be that you wanted to fill that negative space? Because sometimes it can can work both ways. Either you're influenced by parents who are already talking about this, or you're being perceptive and noticing a space that doesn't exist yet. What, What was your experience? It was interesting because we definitely, I mean, it was funny. My my dad and I would argue a lot about money because our views were so different. Um, and he really had this mindset of paying for everything in cash and paying things off and and spending a lot. 
but not carrying debt. Whereas I always saw money as more of a tool. Uh, and so carrying debt didn't have the same fear, but leveraging that tool to create more wealth or money. So I remember we'd argue about like, look at this. And he's like, yeah, but that's all on paper. It's a big term he'd use all the time. I'm like, well, it's on paper, but it doesn't really matter if it's on paper or not. The sort of results the same. But thinking back, like I've never, I've never thought about it in those terms. But but if I had to guess, I know like my dad, he was a commercial diver, and he worked really hard. Um, but he just he when he was out there, he was just miserable when he'd work. I mean, he's a hard worker, and he did it. But he was never. He just hated it. Like for him, work was work. And so for the longest time, that's how I viewed work. I mean, in my mind, if it was enjoyable, it wouldn't be work. It would be a hobby or play or something you liked. But work, work was supposed to be this sort of unenjoyable, miserable thing. And so it's quite like I don't remember consciously. I think I was just too young at the time to make that connection. But but definitely in my mind, I was thinking... I don't want to work like that. And so what do I do to get around it? So in my mind, it was funny. So money was never this feeling of lack, like a lot of people have when they save and they're saving because there's this fear of not having enough. And it was never something to purchase something that I, I really aspired to. For me, I always saw it as a freedom of choice. So I'd have enough. So I could choose these hobbies rather than work. And, and I think that just sort of, that was a lot of it, I think. Yeah. It sounds like you saw a way to use money or, you know, money to be that tool, as you called it earlier, to be a path to freedom. You probably were influenced, I would imagine then by seeing your dad working a really hard job, being a commercial diver is not an easy job. That's like very rigorous and physical and demanding and uh, risky, right? Like, and then to have him come home after a really hard stay of work and like not really, you know, be in, be fulfilled by that. And there's a lot of people out there that work jobs, J-O-Bs, right, that are doing it for a paycheck. But at the end of the day, that money doesn't equate to fulfillment and joy and purpose, intention, all those things. Whereas obviously you and I are both entrepreneurs, um, you know, we know each other from a mutual group that we belong to, the CEO Collective, which I have talked about many times on this podcast because I've had many members from that collective on as guests. And so I, we, we kind of speak the same language as being entrepreneurs and really understanding that our work is filled with purpose and that when we um, build greater wealth and success in our business, it is a vehicle for us to do more in our communities, to give back more, to um, to do actually something really impactful with, with, that, with that money, so to speak. So let's talk about your own entrepreneurial journey then, because clearly some, at some point you realized that was a path for you. Can you talk a little bit about that decision and, and the path that you took to become an entrepreneur? Did you start out as an entrepreneur right away or did you kind of squirrel around at first with J-O-Bs like other people. <laughs> I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur, but I think a, a big part of being an entrepreneur is uh, having ideas, taking that risk, 
and and just going through that pushing through that unknown like just creating something which which was always there i mean a funny story I, and i'm i've i haven't mentioned this one before but because i know you love storytelling you might enjoy this one yes please tell us your stories david <laughs> we're here for that so so as an example so when i was younger there was a a moment where and this would have been even before i read the wealthy barber so i would have been young grade one or two and my dad like our, our whole backyard was just covered in pine cones and so again being a commercial diver he had these little like dive cages um that he'd, he'd fill up and they, they look sort of like um you'll sometimes see like um, milk containers those plastic containers or something and we'd have them all around the house so he basically said okay well if for every one of these you fill up with pine cones i don't know i'll give you a dollar or 50 cents or whatever it was their yard was just covered and this is a good job and go do let's clean this yard up and, and do it and so i was like this is great i mean i can make all this money for these things and so i quickly filled up these containers but i didn't realize that he just wanted our yard clean i had no idea why he wanted these pine cones but i was gathering them for him so i remember then getting all my friends on the street and gathering them all up and saying, look, I can get this much money for each of these containers. I'll split it, you know, I'll, I'll split it with you. Let's just go up and down the, the street. And we, I mean, we went up the whole street filling these containers and we go in neighbors' houses and knock on their door and, hey, do you mind if we pick pine cones from your yard? And, oh, for sure. <laughs> everyone, everyone thought, this is great. We're thinking, okay. We'll do that for free? Sure. <laughs> Meanwhile, your dad's paying for it all. <laughs> exactly. So... So I had just these piles and piles of pine cones and, and showed up and basically told them, here's like, here's these pine cones and I'll get more tomorrow. And, uh, and just, just ran with this, this idea. So, so it was a, I mean, it, it didn't have the, as happy an ending because he did not pay for all those pine cones, realizing that that was not what it is. This was more than I bargained for, David. Yes. But I remember quickly, like I just, it was, it made so much sense to me. If if he's going to pay this much for one, why don't I do more? And there's no way I could do it on my own. So I'm going to get all my friends. We'll split the cost. Like we could, we could cover this whole street. So very entrepreneurial of you. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was early. So those, those types of things um, were always sort of there and percolating. And so, so that led easily to just, you know, sort of blazing my own path as I got older but I did always struggle with it because I, I mean, as you know, like being an entrepreneur, people see only one side of being an entrepreneur. And usually what they see is full freedom and being to sleep in and have these easy hours and choose your own days, which as any entrepreneur would say, like that, that is not it at all. It's longer hours and more risk and, and not a lot of money, uh, definitely when you're starting out. So so I always sort of struggle against it because I also love being in an office. Like, I mean, working with people and collaborating and spinning ideas. I mean, that, that's my dream. Uh, but it just, I just kept hitting walls and, and mostly because of, of not really fitting within that mold of here's a role. This is defined. This is what we want you to do. I had a very hard time not looking at, is there a better way? Is there a different way? Could we do this differently? And and sort of kept pushing against that. So so that's 
that's how I basically sort of started on my own, started as a, as a web development company and it grew to a marketing company and, and kept sort of finding clients and doing my own thing and, and, and pushing new ideas. And so let's dive into where this bridges over into this financial teaching piece, because you do have a book coming out called The Golden Quest, and your website is all about, you know, only buy the awesome stuff. I'd love to hear more about this philosophy around only buy the awesome stuff, what you mean by that, and uh, what that what that lesson is you're wanting to teach to other people. And obviously, specifically, because this book that you're writing or have written and is in the publishing stages now the golden quest is really geared towards young kids. So uh, let's just start with your development then into this financial piece of like making this part of your business becoming, uh, I don't know, did you become an advisor at some point? Like what was the path that led you to eventually write this book? Yeah. So it's not, I mean, I was an advisor for, for a period of time, but really as a hobby, because it's always been my interest. I mean, it, it just fell into place. But, but for me, I found I was more interested in the details and the relationships, not the marketing. And, and really, it's a marketing job for all intents and purposes. So it wasn't really the right fit for me. But again, so even at an early age, I've, I've always been in the weeds with investing and money and, you know, all aspects, real estate, stocks, bonds, watching. I remember, you know, even at an early age, trying to, you know, purchase mutual funds when I was in grade, you know, eight or seven. So, so I've always had this interest, but it was never something that I was fully immersed in or, or saw as a career. And really what happened is, again, we were talking about being entrepreneurial. I think entrepreneurial is just noticing things and then jumping on them. So I was not planning on being a writer or even really producing a book, definitely not of, of this nature. It was as simple as thinking of my boys. I've got two young boys as well. They're nine and 12 now. But this this journey has been about three years. So they're a little bit younger at the time. And, and it wasn't even meant to be based around money, but I was just thinking about, okay, what are some lessons? What are things that I want to pass on to these guys? And not only that, put them in a format so they can carry that on to their kids. And, and create this, you know, generational sort of ideas or concepts or just lessons that, that are important to me. And then, you know, as even talking to my mom, what's important to her and ideally my kids would think the same and they'd pass theirs. So it just becomes this, this is, you know, this is how we, these are our values. And, and as I was doing that, um, I realized a lot of it comes around money because my views on money are so different than what sort of the mainstream ideas around money are. And I see so many sort of so much emotion around money and just how I view it as different. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to sort of start playing with this idea. And then as I was playing with it, I just, I just, it made sense to be a book. But again, in my head, a book is a paperback. So that's where my mind was going. But at the same time, I was volunteering at my kid's library. Kids were coming in and reading graphic novels. Everyone wanted to read a graphic novel and the librarians were constantly trying to tell the kids, don't read the graphic novels. Don't take just graphic novels, grab these other books. And that's when the whole thing just made sense that, look, I can turn this into like a graphic novel, this really fun adventure and pass on these, these ideas, these complex ideas, but in a simple way. 
and that's that's where it began and even then it was still sort of something i thought would i could put out there it made sense it was easy the whole concept came together fast but it's really only been this journey in talking to people like yourself or other people that talk about the book and realizing how big this actually is i didn't realize how important or how big it was when i started this and that as that shifted and that's changed that's where it's felt uh, like a real sort of calling this is where I want to do, I want to get this message out. So pushing that message has become something I feel like I've been called to do and get out there. So that's, that's where the whole thing shifted. And that's, that's where all my, that's why all my energy. So even in the collective, everyone's asking what I'm doing. I've, I've got a lot of things happening on the background, but all I care about is getting this message out. Yeah. Well, you know, this is what I know to be true about storytelling and why, you know, kind of asking you those questions about where did this start in you and when did this, you know, first show up in your own life is because I believe that our purpose and our grand design, you know, our divine intention of what we're here to do has been leaving clues all along, right? Like there's clues in our own journey and in our own life, like, like little breadcrumbs that have been sprinkled and, this is why I love talking to people about their story and especially not, this is not the case for you because you clearly now are on a path. You feel passionate about it. You're excited about it. Like you said, it's the only thing you really want to go do is talk about this message and get this message out to more people because you really feel that push, that call. There's so many people in our world that haven't figured that piece out for themselves yet. And they're stuck and stumbling and waffling and unsure and unclear. And then I, I just want to say and kind of come through the screen and come through this microphone and say, if that's you, right, to the listener, that the key is found, the keys to all of that are found in your story. You know, some of these questions that I ask guests like David on the show are, are really great questions to be asking yourself. Like, where did certain passions show up in your life? What sort of interest have you always had? Because this is your divine design, right? Because not everyone was passionate about investing at the early age and going to book signings with authors who are writing financial books, right? At 11 years old. And so those things are really big clues as to things that we should follow those breadcrumbs. Because they're things that bring you happiness and joy and makes you feel, you know, enlightened and full of purpose. And so I think it's really exciting that you did write this book and that you, you kind of leaned into that curiosity yourself of just wanting to pass this on to your boys and then future generations of your own family. But then it's, it's shown up for you obviously in such a bigger way because now you've been enlightened that, Oh, this is so much bigger than just a book for my boys. This is a message more people need to hear. Um, I do think about money differently than other people. So maybe I can serve those people and help them. So I just love that. That's my little aside to storytelling. But I see that in your own story, right? Like clearly that has been showing up for you for a while. And you have somehow, some way been following the breadcrumbs, even in your own entrepreneurial journey, even though you may not have worked, you know, specifically in this financial trade business, you've done it as a hobby and it's been a personal passion of yours. It's just something you've always been interested in. But I love that you said, because you've worked in the world of marketing. I love that you said it's just marketing, right? Like it's a way of seeing marketing with a different lens. 
And I totally get that. So I love that you said that because it's really just like, you know, it's really, if you think about compound interest, right, which I know compound interest is a big topic of this book, that's what marketing is. Like if you get your name out there enough, you will have the compound interest of the marketing, right? And so um, let's dive into compound interest because some of this is, you know, like you said, uh, people don't approach money the way that you do. They have a lot of emotion tied to it. Um, and so what is your take? How, how is it that you want to share the, your view, views on money, building wealth, investing? What is that message that you want to get out to people? So, so the big, big idea, like we could touch, touch on sort of compounding some of those other things because those habits really are important. Yeah. But the big, I mean, a lot of, a lot of it. So the compound interest, for example, is just repackaging the same idea that really, it really is important. That's why we keep talking about it, but in another way that people can read or digest or get. And so, and especially touching young kids, there's a huge value in that. And if that, that was all this was, there'd be, there'd be huge value in it. And, and I'd be excited about it. But where uh-huh. the passion actually comes isn't that. Uh, the passion is around this new idea. So even as you're talking about those breadcrumbs and people finding what's important to them and everything else, that's really what the message I'm trying to get across in the book as well. And, and basically what I found is most people, one, we're all triggered by money in a million different ways. Uh-huh. And we have all these emotions. Uh, but money really is just like, it, it, it just is a tool. It just is a thing. And so our own personal feelings towards it shouldn't like that. That's got nothing to do with money. Uh, And so what happens, though, is most of us, when we think about money in a good way, we're thinking of saving. And that really is the core is we're all thinking of saving, but we don't realize that we're thinking of saving most of us, uh, and in my case, as I talk to people, almost all of us, we're thinking of saving because there's something we want. We want more and we're saving for more. And so the whole feeling around money and how we view money is save as much as we can so we can buy as much as we can. Uh-huh. And there is no end to it. The more we save, the more we can buy. And it just it just becomes a cycle. And just and that's just how it is. It becomes a habit of what else consumption yeah yeah and so the flip that i have is like as you mentioned this only buy the awesome stuff it has nothing to do with saving and nothing to do with not buying more it's realizing what you're buying and and just this whole idea of money mindfulness is this the awesome stuff to me is this what i really value because what happens is as you become more aware of what you really value, and it makes me think back to when, you know, people fall in the breadcrumbs and what's important to them, everything is a choice. And the problem is, is we, we keep thinking of additional. So more and more and more rather than being present and realizing every choice we make takes away from something else. So every purchase takes away from another purchase or another thing, whether that's actual money going out the door or headspace or time or freedom, everything's a choice. So if we're very present in what's our awesome stuff, 
then everything we buy or pursue is what's important to us and what we value. And so that's going to be different for everyone as well. And that's where this whole idea around money, there's a lot of judgment around money. Yeah. So if you there's judgment on both sides, having too much, having too little, having the fancy car and not having the fancy car, there's, there's all this judgment. And if we take away that and just think, what do I value? What's important to me? That pause, and it's very simple, the impact of that is incredible. And that sort of filters all the way down to really getting clear on what's important to you. Oh, I just think that's so good about filtering it based on your core values, right? Like what's super important to you. And if, if we really did spend time to just get laser clear on that, what I hear you saying is we probably wouldn't spend near as much on those just endless cycle of just, oh, I've got the money to go buy that thing. So I'm going to go buy that thing. It, in teaching it from this mindfulness perspective of like, do you really want that thing? <laughs> like, is that thing really going to bring you joy? Is it really going to move the needle in your life? Is it, is it, what's it going to do? <clears throat> is it just another, is it just another notch in the belt, you know? Um, so just teaching it from that mindful standpoint is, is so key. Um, so do you have this broken down in any way to like, simple steps or key lessons or key, you know, pieces that people need to like examine? How, how do you see that? Yeah. And well, and that's the beauty of the book. And that, that's Uh probably why it's taken me the last few years (laughs) to get to this point. I knew exactly what I wanted to say and why, but it's very wordy and there's a lot of detail, but sitting on it, especially trying to focus this, this book for young kids. So, so what happened is I, I wanted all of the messages to be for adults and then package them in a way that even a five-year-old could get. Yeah. So that's what I've done. So I've taken these messages and just condensed them. So the message is so easy and so simple and you don't have to know the rest, just yeah. the message, but built inside of that seed, that idea is all the rest. So if you take something like only the only by the awesome stuff, you don't have to sort of figure out who you are, what what's important. Like you don't have to go down any of these paths or realize it. All you have to do when you go buy something is sit on it and think, is this the awesome stuff? And and what's funny in the book, the the young child who's who's learning this lesson sort of mocks the tutor in a way or laughs and says, everything I buy is awesome. Like, what what does this even mean? (laughs) You know, it's a young kid. Sure. They all want candy. And, you know, like, it's just like, it's funny when you think about the things that kids buy or that they're interested in at that, in that level of mindset to them, it is awesome, right? Because they're kids. They don't have the responsibilities, the other things that are filtering into the life that we have as adults. So, you know, it's, it's, it is, it is that paradigm shift of getting us to think that way. Yeah. So that's exactly it. Everything's awesome. But basically in the book, it says, wait a sec, let's stop, be mindful. Think about this. Think about 
all your stuff. And so the kid's thinking of all the stuff. And just any of us parents know how much stuff our kids have and how little they play with, how little gets attention. Like it's just, it's clutter all over the place. And that's basically what this, this teacher's talking about is how, what, what is really important? What do you really love? It's not all this stuff. And so in this case, the kid thinks about his fish and really because my older son loves his fish and he thinks of his aquarium and he thinks of his fish and he thinks of like this, this thing is his awesome stuff. And that's, that's the key piece is we all think all of our stuff is awesome and, and kids are frivolous, but so are adults. And I, oh yeah, any adults would be the same. I have to buy all this stuff. This is all important. But if I went through and said, okay, let's look on your shelf. Let's look in your closet. Let's look in your house. Let's think of your your travels, your family, whatever it is. If you pause and think about now, what what is the most important thing? We all have a most important thing. And then once you know what that is, that's your bar. Mm-hmm. So then when you go to buy something, is it going to bring me the same level of joy as X? And even a young kid can get that, which is so amazing. So I've I've heard stories of kids being in stores with a chocolate bar in their hand or a little toy in their hand and looking at it and they're intent because they're pausing and they're like, you know what? This isn't the awesome stuff. And they're putting it down. And that's just amazing. And that that is all I'm looking for. It doesn't matter what they then choose to buy because yeah. it's not going to be what I would have chosen. But the fact that they're realizing this isn't the awesome stuff and putting it down and that's so much different, more different than someone saying, don't buy that, save yeah. your money, put that off and putting it down for the reasons of saving or because you can't afford it or be, you know, putting it down because it just isn't that valuable to you. That's the key message. And then as I was mentioning how that seed, so that, that concept's a very easy concept. But then that extrapolates to all these other things of, you know, gratitude for what you have, uh, not always seeking more because you're, you're focused on what really is important to you and what, what, what that is, um, avoiding lifestyle inflation. Like there's all these pieces that just automatically happen that you might not even be aware of just from that one choice of, is this is this the awesome stuff? And, and it's easy to teach what that awesome stuff is because if I ask any of you, including your viewers, what is that one thing? It doesn't take too long for people to realize, oh yeah, this is, this is it. Even collectors. I mean, you could have, you know, a a showroom full of cars. And even then there's one car in that showroom. That's your awesome stuff. Um, So it doesn't matter what end of the spectrum you're on. We all have our awesome stuff. And and that's really all it is. You know, several years ago, my husband and I made a very conscious decision and, and included our kids in this, you know, discussion um, about, around Christmas, around Christmas presents and all the things that come with Christmas purchasing. Um, and it was uh, a real clear decision that we wanted to make that this definitely would be classifying as the awesome stuff in my book was that we were no longer going to buy things for their presence. We were going to invest in experiences and memories. 
And that alleviated from my perspective because uh, it got to the point where December would roll around or really even starting at Thanksgiving um, that it would roll around and I would start to feel this anxiety that was coming on with this holiday season, not so much from a, from a, you know, like a money standpoint in terms of like, Oh, I got to go spend all this money. Although I didn't, I did not like that, you know, because I would, Oh, I'm going to go spend all this money on these presents for these kids. And as you said, it'll be the, it'll be the darn cardboard box that the present came in that they end up playing with more than the actual present. So, and I saw that happening, you know, a few years in a row and I'm like, why are we doing this? This is so, um, it's just, it's just, it's excess, you know, and, but also with the hustle and bustle of the holidays and just all of the things that come up, the busyness and, um, you know, my faith is very important to me. And I thought, man, we're just getting this all wrong, you know, because the meaning of Christmas to me is about something so much not, it's not about what we make it in our consumption culture. So, we made a very, we sat down with the kids and we said, look, we're not going to do this. And we explained why, you know, because of all these things, like this isn't what's important. This isn't what the season is about. And our family is at the very top um, under faith. It is our very most valued, uh, you know, core value, Uh, faith, family, and freedom are our top three. And so it's like, if we're going to live into that, then our awesome stuff, was to stop buying all those Christmas presents and all of that and really just invest in experiences. So, you know, started to become some trips, you know, trips, uh, you know, tickets to Disney one year, um, a trip to California one year, a ski trip. It, it really became trips um, because we have, a, we also have a real high value around travel um, because we love to, you know, go see new places. But to me, that was a real decision. I didn't have language around it being the awesome stuff back then before I met you. Uh, but I would say that was a decision that we made as a family uh, around, that was a money decision that was about only by the awesome stuff. And to us, that was the awesome stuff. You know, it was no longer about presents under the tree. Oh, I love that so much. Uh, and that you said that because in, in the book as well, as the kids running out, you know, to the next lesson, you know, the, the, the teacher basically is yelling at him. Don't forget experiences can also Mm -hmm. be the awesome stuff. Yeah. And, and as, and hearing you talk about it, I mean, that's, so the reason I do get so passionate about this is there's so much value there that we don't realize. So, I mean, a Christmas morning and there's presents <clears throat> and under the tree and there's all these things. I mean, that's so magical and seeing the kids open the stuff and that's what we fall into. And for uh-huh. some of that, some of us, that is what we want, but seeing you light up talking about, <clears throat> sorry, the, uh, the trips and the travel and what you're doing you could almost see see your whole just energy change and shift mm-hmm. around that and that's that's exactly it because what's happening if you chose the, those other things instead you wouldn't then be doing those trips or that travel but no. that trips or the travel like that's what you're you're yeah. so excited about and and I love it I will say though so my kids as well like we definitely experiences over things is big um, especially my youngest one. That's all he cares about. Just just experiences. So birthdays, experiences, yeah. Christmas experiences. During COVID, 
it's been a lot more difficult to, yeah. uh, to come up <laughs> with those those experiences. But for sure, that's, you know, where, what makes you light up? What brings you joy? And, and too often we think of, well, we can't do that because, well, that isn't the case. If we focused on just that, and that's our priority, and that's where we put our energy, then it happens. And, and just like Christmas, I think of just how much stress I feel having to buy something for someone or shop or hit those malls versus, you know, what's important to me, spending time, having the family around, mm -hmm. having everyone here. If that's what's important to me and we focus on that instead, it completely shifts that whole, that whole holiday where... yes. People aren't rushing out and having to do something and having to shop. And, and, and again, it's, it's one of those things of what brings you joy. Because I, I, at the same time, I'm going to, I know there's people out there that absolutely love that. Exactly. And that's fine. <laughs> if that brings yeah. you joy, then go do it. Because that is your version, your definition of the awesome stuff, right? And that's why you said it earlier. It's going to be different for everybody. You know, like the kid that put down, down the candy bar you know, either purchase something else or didn't purchase anything at all. Um, you may have made a different decision because your awesome stuff may have been the candy bar. Who knows? Like, you know, so it doesn't, there's no judgment. It's just, it's just like getting into like what really, really lights you up and is, is your definition of the awesome stuff. And then making those decisions with that lens, with those eyeglasses on of like, I'm only looking for the awesome stuff. And so therefore I'm only going to purchase the awesome stuff. And then what is left over then, because you probably won't spend as much money, you have more room then for, you know, the building of wealth, you know, contributing to your compound interest, all the other things that can come with the financial lessons. If you just start there, that's like starting block number one, only by the awesome stuff. Exactly. And that's the first lesson taught in the book. And and for exactly that reason, because then everything else cascades, but it yeah. cascades from a position of not lack, yes. which is what we usually feel. Yes. It comes from a position of power because we're very clear on what's important to us. You're being intentional and it makes you feel good when you buy those things. Yeah, I think that's a big piece of it, too, is um, is teaching this from a, a very empowering standpoint, rather than you can't buy that because we don't have enough money, you can't afford that. And it starts to become these really negative stories that play in a kind of a negative loop in our head as we grow up. Um, and it, it, you know, it just becomes baggage that we carry around around money. And I, I definitely I've had it, a, you know, a, there's another episode on the Inside Story podcast, where we talk about it, I talk about it with one of my friends, Alexandra Takeda, who is a money mindset coach and does a lot around abundance. And we had a very open conversation about, you know, an old money story that I just logged around with me for all those years because it was um, a negative experience around money with my parents growing up. And I finally had to do the work to release that because I wanted money to be a positive experience and to welcome more abundance into my life. And so um, that that is such an important piece of it is teaching that early to our kids, which is why I love what you're doing so much. Um, but that also us as adults can use that lesson 
and just break it down in really simple language of just only buy the awesome stuff. So I am so excited for your book to come out. So the book is called The Golden Quest, correct? Yeah. So it's called The Golden Quest. And if you go to the website, onlybytheawesomestuff.com, you can pre-order it today. And we're looking at a you know fall 2021 launch date. So, so we're there. We're, we're so close. But it has been a bit more of a journey so than close. I expected. Yeah. Well, it is a journey. Writing a book is not something you snap your fingers and it gets produced. It's a it's a it's a big journey, but what a fun one you you're, you're on! And I think that I can tell that through the journey of you doing this work, you have tapped into something that you have realized is a is a passion for you, and a place that you want to play in a lot more. So I I really look forward to seeing what unfolds beyond the book, right? Becomes that comes out of this from people reading it and conversations that you have more podcasts that you'll be on all the things, you know, and what you dream up next, because um, it, it really feels so perfect what you're doing. And I've pre-ordered my copy, so I can't wait to get it. Um, and, you know, we will link up all of David's links only about the awesome stuff so that you can follow him, pre-order the book um, and get this, you know, into your kids' libraries, your personal library at home and, the school libraries, um, it's going to be a really a really good one to share with your friends and people who are parents, uh, and probably the parents themselves need to read it <laughs> and then give it to the kids. I love it. Only buy the awesome stuff. What an awesome message today. Thank you so much for being with me. It's been great having you. Yeah, thank you. It's it's definitely definitely been fun. And yeah, I'm so excited about this. And there is, I mean, it was, it's, it's a kid's book and is written for, for kids. So really kids of, you know, those younger years, they'll get it because it's, it's written for them. It's a, it's a graphic novel, but at the same time, I don't really pull any punches. There are some really important lessons in there and sort of one of these, one of my secret hopes for the book is that rather than it being just something people see for kids, it becomes something where, you know, as, as our, as our children graduate high school, it becomes that, that gift that we give them because the lessons are so important. And, and looking back when you're talking about the sort of my financial journey and, and looking at it, a big part of it, because I have, I was that kid and in the weeds and really curious about all of these details, but I've realized most of that is noise and most mm-hmm. of it just comes down to habits and mindset and the rest isn't that important. So it's not as complicated as we, we think it is or we make it out to be. Great message, David. Thank you. We'll leave it at that. That's a good way to end it. Thank you so much. And as I said, we'll link everything up in the show notes so you guys can go and support David and in, in this journey he's on and grab your copy of the book when it comes out and share with him on social media once that comes in and helps spread this message of only buy the awesome stuff. Thank you so much, everyone, for being with us today. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Inside Story podcast. Don't forget to send me a message over on Instagram at Lightbeamers. Let me know you listen to the show. We are also on um, Instagram at the Inside Story podcast. Come say hello. I'll talk to you then. Bye. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to give it a review and share this broadcast out with your friends and family. Now, did listening to this episode make you think more about your own story? Are you wondering which parts of your own story are relevant to share with others? This is the question I get asked more than any other. How do I share my story? Which parts of my story are worth sharing with other people? How can I make my story relatable so that others can benefit from it? I've taken my simple process that I've used for years as a journalist and broken it down into a three-part storytelling formula that will help you discover the key components of your own story and how to share it. It's a free resource I've created to help you become a light beamer by sharing your story. Simply go to www.lightbeamers.com and click on the big yellow button on the homepage to download your story formula. I'd love to hear your story too. So be sure to join my free community on Facebook, the Light Beamers community, and share your story with me. I can't wait to learn more about you and the story that's inside of you. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can get notified when our next broadcast is live. You will want to stay tuned to the stories we are lining up for you next. I promise they are so good. As always, Light Beamers, I'm over here cheering for you. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.